This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Uh, we're going to turn to Colossians 1. I mean, this is such a rich chapter. So much, so much here to, to dig into. And um, last week, we, Pastor Adam, he was bringing us this, what we, what we might call a hymn or a creed, uh, this, this section of Colossians 1 where it was probably something that, that the church had put together, the leaders of the church, in order to, to bring clarity about who Jesus is and, and what he has done. And, and creeds are, are so helpful and valuable in the sense that it, it sort of gives us uh, confidence to, to voice something that is, you know, it, it's a, a deep truth. It's something that might be difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, but when God's, God's leaders come together and, and those in the church in the past who have come together and put these statements uh, before us, it it's a blessing because we can we can say these words sort of with confidence, knowing uh, that that this this is a, a way to express that about who Christ is. Because it's, some of these things are difficult for us to express, and so we when we look in in Colossians chapter one at this this creed uh, where we're picking up today the kind of the last couple verses, um, it, it reminds us that Jesus had to be exactly who he is, God in the flesh, in order to effectively accomplish what he did on the cross. And, and if we start with any other foundation than, than the true nature of Christ being God, then we can't move forward. We can't move forward to what we're going to talk about today, which is reconciliation, to be brought back into a right relationship with God. And, and the, the word reconciliation in this passage we have this morning, uh, this form, it only appears three times in the New Testament, and, and two of those occurrences are here within a couple verses. And, and so it's something that, that Paul uses within that creed or that hymn, that, that deep theological statement to then move forward into how that practically affects our lives. Because theology should never be something that just floats around in the head. It should always be practical. It should be lived out. And so Paul shows us how we move from sort of that, that thinking arena to the living, to the living arena. So Colossians uh, chapter 1 um, reconciliation is something that, it's a word that we use quite a bit. Usually when we talk about it or use the word, we're speaking of reconciliation between, between friends, maybe uh, between uh, spouses, family members, and it always involves some kind of wrongdoing, 
So reconciliation means that there was something done to break the relationship, and then something must be done to bring that relationship back together. One of the, one of the dictionaries ex- describes the word, the Greek word this way, it's the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a small breach. It's not just like, you know, a little sort of tiff between friends. It's a, it's a large breach. It's something that has created a, a, a gap, a big gap between two parties. And so when we speak of reconciliation, oftentimes we think of it in terms of the person who has done the wrong must then apologize or make right whatever they have done in order to initiate the reconciliation. So usually it's the guilty party that's responsible for the reconciliation. And when the scripture speaks of reconciliation, most of the time what it's speaking about is reconciliation between man and God, except there's one big difference between how we usually use the word. In the scripture, reconciliation is always something that God must initiate and accomplish. We, as the guilty party, are not able to reconcile ourselves. And so I don't want us to uh, get confused with how we might normally use the word, because reconciliation um, is not us making right our relationship with God. It is, it is not the process of, of us bridging that gap in any way. It's what God has done. And what we see in this passage is it's what God has done through Christ. And so we'll pick it up in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 19. We're going to go through verse uh, 23 this morning. And it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what you have done to bring us back into a right relationship with you. And Father, we praise you for your great love by which you have done this. And we ask this morning that you would open our hearts uh, to receive your word, to be encouraged, to be challenged. And we pray, Father, that you would have your way in us this morning. We lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 19 and 20, we're wrapping up this hymn or creed that Paul has 
has laid out in chapter 1, the focus of this, this creed is, is Christ's preeminence, that Jesus is, is basically number one in all things, that he is above all things, that he's the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the one who is, is given all of the glory. And it also, it also says he's the head of the church, the body. And, and so as somebody who has that kind of authority and place, when we understand that, we can then move from understanding who Christ is to how his work is effective in our life. Um, one thing I wanted to, to just look at real quick is how that hymn kind of works together. Uh, I have a, a slide, a little color-coded slide for you. And it short, sort of shows the structure of, of that hymn. And these, these were often written in a way that created sort of like a parallel pattern so that you could focus on certain elements. And so you can kind of see that it begins speaking of, of the image of the invisible God. He is the image. And on the bottom side, we have he is the beginning. You go back to the top, you see firstborn. Come back to the bottom, you, see, you can see how that, that structure is sort of paralleled it's called a chiastic structure, and it's used often in Hebrew literature and poetry. But you can kind of see how it centers down into that letter C, where it says, and in him all things hold together. So it's kind of interesting when you, when you map it out like this, you can see how the structure works to focus in on, on that middle portion, in him all things hold together. So Jesus... He is responsible. He is the one who created everything. He is the firstborn. He is the beginning. In him, all things hold together. And that is, that is how we can put our full faith and trust in what he has done. So picking up in verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If you have another translation, you might notice uh, it saying something like, um, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, or something like the Father was pleased. And, and so the, the wording there is, is, is a little bit, it, it almost feels a little bit vague. And when we see a, a phrase like that, pleased to dwell that sometimes that points us to another passage and it might be something that, that the, the original hearers would have heard and would have connected to something in the, in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And there is one place that that phrase occurs in the Old Testament, pleased to dwell, and that's in Psalm 68. Those same Greek words are used in the Septuagint to when it's speaking of God, Yahweh's desire, his pleasure to dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. And so when someone would hear that phrase, pleased to dwell, it would likely connect them to 
Yahweh and his pleasure to dwell in Jerusalem, specifically the temple in Jerusalem. So, so it's this idea of God, how, he, he, how John speaks of God tabernacling, dwelling among us in Christ. And so there's, a, there's an image there that is made clear by Psalm 68. I, I like the ESV's translation. It says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And it sort of speaks, that's, that's kind of a, a literal translation. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And we see, we see this idea bringing from Psalm 68 that all of who God is, the entire, all of, of, of the Trinity, everything we can think about in God was in Christ. Because as we saw, he's the image of the invisible God. And so knowing that who Jesus is, it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So there we have our word, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And Oftentimes, we can actually think of reconciliation in, in sort of a, a diminished way because we think of it just in terms of our own salvation. We, we can kind of over-personalize the, the idea of reconciliation. But, but Paul says this is, a, this is a grand word. Reconciliation is a, is a big idea. It's, it's not just us as sinners being reconciled to Christ, although it certainly is that, but it includes so much more as well. We know that God plans to make all things right on heaven and in earth, that, that someday everything will be reconciled to him. Everything will be restored. And so we as the people of God are part of that reconciliation, but it includes all things. And so that, that gives us sort of a, a deeper, uh, a bigger look. Uh, and, and it connects also to the earlier portion of the hymn when he speaks of, in him, all things were created on heaven and on earth. Uh, and he speaks of authorities and powers, and, and it, it encompasses everything. Everything that God created, he will reconcile someday. It doesn't mean that everything will be reconciled in the terms of all people being saved. It means that everything will be made right and everything will be made good and all that is evil will be done away with. And so God's plan of reconciliation is a big plan. And praise God, it includes us. And so... I want to look at this in three different sections. Paul talks about the need for reconciliation in verse 21. He then kind of explains how that reconciliation is accomplished. And then he gives us the result of our reconciliation. So in verse 21, he says, You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... So we move from this, this large, this hymn, this big theological statement to now a very personal statement. 
So here's who Jesus is. Here's what he has done to reconcile all things. And then he says, and you, to the readers and, and to us, because we can connect ourselves to Paul's audience here. He says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So not only does he get personal, but he also doesn't pull any punches from the get-go. There's, there's no sugarcoating in that statement. The Colossians were likely, they were pagan background believers. They were Gentiles, most of those in, this, in, in the church. And, and so these Gentiles, they were outside of the covenant. They, there, was, there was no hope for them in their, in their situation unless they were able to conform to, to come and become Jews, to enter into uh, the covenant practices. And so Paul's speaking of, here's where you were, alienated, hostile in mind. And that, that includes everybody. It's, it's not just for the Gentiles, but it's, it's a, a statement that would have clearly connected to them, to his audience. But this word alienated or estranged, it's not just that they were distant, but it's, it's sort of a purposeful separation. It, to be alienated or estranged speaks of, of the damage between the relationship. If you're estranged to somebody, it's not that you just don't know them, right? It's, it's a very negative term. And so this was a purposeful separation, we all have, have gone our own way. And then he uses the term hostile, hostile in mind. Not just separated purposely, but also viewing God in a way that is hostile, as enemies. As we know from Romans 5, enemies of God. And how was that expressed or how was that shown? Well, it was through evil deeds, through the actions. And evil deeds can mean not just blatant immorality or, or harm to others, uh, but it can also be idolatrous worship, internal sinful practices. Evil deeds is something that we all connect to. We all have sinned, fallen short. And, and so Paul places them in this category that helps them to understand where they were prior to reconciliation. And why is Paul reminding Colossians, who these are believers, of where they came from? I mean, what is the, what is the point? Because we might look at this and say, well, I've, I've been reconciled. You know, that's not me anymore, so why... Why talk about the past? Why remind me of where I was? And I think going back to, to think, think about who we were prior to Christ or who we are outside of Christ is what helps us to understand the beauty or the value of then being in Christ, being reconciled to Christ. And, and so this reminder helps Paul to build the case. Um, it's, not just to, it's not just to shame them, but it's to, to, it's to move, this whole passage moves us forward. So, so it starts us in a certain place and it moves us to a certain place. And so this is who they were. 
And yet, he says, now he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This is who you were. This is where you were. And yet, Christ has now brought you near in his body of flesh by his death. So that statement is body of flesh by his death is is sort of a, a contrast to what we've been talking about because we've been speaking of Christ's deity. That's what we've been laying out in this hymn, this creed. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwells within him. That person of Jesus being God he had to descend into the world in order to take on this body of flesh in order to recon- reconcile the world to God. He had to become part of the world. And, and so Paul is, Paul is making sure we don't have an unbalanced view of who Jesus is. When we think of Jesus, we might be tempted to diminish his humanity, but that is an essential part of who he was, God in the flesh. Only a God who became human could then redeem us. And so Jesus became man. He experienced this this death, this brutal death, physically and spiritually beyond what we can comprehend. And so the result of that act of reconciliation is given to us in uh, verse 22. He says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. So you were alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. And now we are holy, blameless, and above reproach. So you can see another three descriptors there to sort of counteract what we were. Holiness speaks of purity, being set apart, being sanctified, that that nothing from the past can cling to us. Hostile, sorry, blameless speaks of that that idea that that there's no, nothing, nothing that we have done sticks. And above reproach is the idea that nothing, nothing that we, are going to do can bring an accusation against us. So we kind of see it in in this full circle of completely accepted before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's a pretty stark contrast to what we were. But yet I think oftentimes we don't necessarily think of ourselves in this way, holy, blameless, and above reproach, because we, we still battle with the, the struggles, the temptations. And we might be thinking, you know, Paul, that, that sounds good, but how do, how do I live that out? How does that become a reality in my life? Holiness, blameless, above reproach. I want to I experience that, not just, not just uh, in, in knowledge, but in, in reality, And I think I would point us back to verse 10, Paul's prayer for the saints in Colossians. And he says that his prayer is that they would walk walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. So that's Paul's prayer for these believers, is that they would, they would experience that being lived out in their lives. And God's work of reconciliation in our lives is complete. It's been done. He's reconciled. But yet we still carry with us the very thing that created the break, the separation between us and God, and that's our flesh. And so we see in, de- in Romans 6, Paul describes in detail how the flesh continues to, to try and keep that, that division between us and God from a fellowship standpoint. It, it tries to keep us living in an unreconciled way, even though our new identity in Christ has complete fellowship with God and it's been restored. And, and so... When we, when we look at this, where we need to be reminded to walk and live in that state of reconciliation. God is not waiting for us to, to complete the reconciliation. He's not waiting for us to do something to maintain our reconciliation. He's done the work. We've been accepted We're viewed holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. And now we have to stand in that place, knowing that's how our relationship with God is. And then we can live that out in confidence of who we are in Christ. So we know who we were. We know what Jesus has done. And we know the result of that reconciliation. And in verse 23, Paul reminds us that there still is a condition. It's not a condition to do something. It's a condition to trust someone, to trust God, to trust all that we know now about who Jesus is. And he says in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we see another, another triad, another three words there. Stable, steadfast, and not shifting. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the faith. All of those things, and, it, and it's sort of to, the idea there is to kind of overweight. We have, we have six things listed there that, that speak of our reconciled state, and we have three things that speak of our former state. And so it's weighted in, in that direction of us being reconciled in Christ. Again, God has done the work. He just asks us to trust in that work. And when we trust in that work, it's not just a matter of saying, yes, I know I'll be with Jesus someday. But it's, it's a trust that says, this is now how I will live as someone who has been reconciled to God. And that's what the book of Colossians continues then to lay out. 
since you've been reconciled, here is how the people of God should interact with each other, should interact with the world, should interact with the Lord. And all of those things are built on this foundation of reconciliation. So it's by our trusting fully and continually in the work that God has done that our reconciliation continues to be played out. To, we continue to live that out daily. So Christ, being the creator and sustainer of all things, is the only one who has the ability to reconcile us, to make things right between us and our creator, because he is God in the flesh. And we can only experience this reconciliation through faith, only through faith in his divine work on the cross. And that truth, that understanding is what will lead us into a life that glorifies God as our life displays his reconciliation. So good theology is the foundation for the what, why, and how of living the Christian life. And, and that's what this, this section in chapter one reminds us of. Knowing Christ is so important. Knowing who he is is so important to having confidence in our salvation and in our hope. And, and so this reconciliation, it this understanding, it should empower us to walk in that truth, knowing that we're fully accepted before God. But reconciliation is not just something that has happened to us through Christ. Reconciliation is then something that happens through us to others. And Paul draws that out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So what we see the fullness of the Godhead doing in Jesus, the same Jesus that dwells in us, should then become a part of our lives. Because the ministry of reconciliation is passed on, is imparted to the body of Christ, of whom Christ is the head, as we know. And so we are not just reconciled, but we become reconcilers We've experienced that restoration of the relationship and now we live it and speak it so that others can experience the same thing. And that's what Paul, that's how Paul ends verse 23. It's because of the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which has been proclaimed, again, he uses, in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So the gospel, again, it has universal implications for reconciliation, everything being made right. And in that, in that understanding, in that picture, we see ourselves restored 
before God. We see the people of God brought back into a right relationship with God and with each other. And so as the church, we're a challenge to live that out, to be a people who are reconciled and who also work to bring reconciliation. And that's a beautiful picture. And that's something that I think if the church is able to display well, the world will look at and see that as an incredible testimony. And so that begins, that begins with us, with each, with each expression of the body of Christ. So let us be a people who know our reconciliation, who live in it and live it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the blood of the cross. Lord, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you for the confidence that we could have knowing that, that what you have done for us is sure. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not only know and understand that, but to walk in that, to walk in a relationship that's been restored with you and to, to see the effects of that playing out in all of our relationships. So Father, I pray we would be a testimony of that, that you would challenge us and encourage us to be a people who are reconciled and who seek for reconciliation in this world. We love you. We, we thank you for your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.